0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Greetings in Christ to you this first Sunday after Christmas. I hope that you received many, many wonderful gifts and a few material things as well. Today we consider a rather simple and yet extremely relevant question. Jesus has been born. The Messiah and Savior has come. What does this mean? In these gray and latter days, there's no shortage of Jesuses to choose from. There's political revolutionary Jesus, environmentalist Jesus, wealthy conservative business coach Jesus, kumbaya hippie Jesus, gun toting, pickup driving, fishing buddy Jesus, rainbow flag waving gender confused Jesus. Eastern mysticism Pentecostal Jesus, Pope Francis Pacamama Jesus, evangelical life coach and mentor Jesus, and so on. If there's any unifying theme, and there really isn't, it would be the co-opting of Christ to serve one of the central tenets of what Christian Smith called moralistic therapeutic deism. That the goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself, and Jesus is here to help. It's Jesus' job to make you happier, to solve all your problems, and to largely stay out of your business until He's needed. He's there to accommodate Himself to your ideals and needs, and to say yes to you as often as possible. The most important thing to know about Jesus is that he's nice and he wants people to be nice too. But is any of that true? Well, not to put too fine of a point on it, but no. So who is Jesus according to the scriptures and what has he come to do? We might summarize our gospel this morning with three words. Division, redemption, and I'm not going to tell you, at least not yet. St. Luke presents us with two witnesses, Simeon and Anna, who will begin to inform us regarding the Christ child and why he has come. Simeon says to Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall of many and for the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your heart also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So according to the scriptures, this child has come to divide. On account of him, many will rise, and on account of him, many others will fall. And, according to the scriptures, this child will be opposed. And again, we see this in our own day, don't we, with the invention of countless counterfeit Jesuses. The real one is deeply divisive, and many oppose him. And last, according to these scriptures, this child causes the thoughts of many hearts to be revealed. A point so profoundly true, not only can one not add to it, but it's uncomfortable. What a person thinks about the Jesus of Scripture tells you just about all you need to know about what's going on in their heart. This child comes for division, for conflict, and for revelation. His birth and coming demand a response. There's no way to avoid it, it's either love or hatred, belief, or unbelief, turning toward him and away from sin, or turning away from him and toward sin. Simply put, Jesus' birth is not good news for those who are opposed to repentance, forgiveness, and a new life. And so he divides And we have to be prepared for this dividing to play itself out in our own families, in our own places of work, in our own congregations and larger church bodies, in our nation and indeed throughout the entire globe. A division. This child is born in a manger and taken to the temple. And he is, in fact, the Messiah, the Savior of the entire world. He's come for all, for Jew and for Gentile, but all do not receive him. But the good news of his atoning death, the good news of peace with God on account of Jesus, goes forth into all the world. This gospel isn't simply a proclamation of amnesty. It's a call to repentance. The fate of individuals hangs indeed on their response. Those who reject him judge themselves unworthy of eternal life, the scriptures say. Isn't that an interesting way of putting it? Those who reject Jesus judge themselves unworthy of eternal life. Jesus divides. Now, as we turn from Simeon to Anna, we're told first of her background, how she, like Simeon, was a person filled with the Holy Spirit. But we're also told that she was a widow, and that she didn't depart from the temple. She worshipped God with fasting and prayer both night and day. Second, we're told that like Simeon, she encounters the little child and immediately knows that he's the Messiah. We're told that at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And that's the key word. Redemption. This word along with the purification and redemption rites that are the reason for Joseph, Mary, and Jesus having come to the temple in the first place give us the second meaning of Jesus' coming. If the first is division, then the second is redemption. Redemption means to buy back. This child has come to buy us back. As the scriptures will say, not with gold and silver, but with his own precious blood, with his innocent suffering and death, that we may be his own now and forever. So we see that in this child, even from his earliest years, everything according to the law is perfectly kept, so that he can be the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice, making perfect atonement for the sins of all people, redeeming us buying us back so that we become his own and belong to him it's such a strange but beautiful thought you are not your own you were bought at a price you are his and if you are truly his that means that your sins are truly forgiven So we began with a simple question this morning. Jesus has been born. The Messiah and Savior has come. What does this mean? And in our text today, we see Simeon and Anna teach us that he has come for division and for redemption. But there's one other result of his coming that's implicit in this text. Both Simeon and Anna are filled with joy But we see that this joy is very different than the concept of personal happiness in moralistic therapeutic deism. In fact, one can be in profoundly unhappy personal circumstances and still be filled with the joy of Simeon and Anna, with the joy of our Savior Jesus and his kingdom of grace. In our household, we have a, an inside joke. We use it, in fact, all year round, and often to uh, relieve the tension or tone things down. And it goes like this. Someone will whisper very seriously, you're ruining Christmas. It's the best when it's used for the smallest infraction. Someone forgets to pass the bread, or they drop a napkin, or they show any sign of irritation, no matter how small, and you just simply go up to them and say, you're ruining Christmas. Fantastic. Highly recommend it. (laughs) Of course, the fun of this is precisely that if Christmas can be so easily ruined, it isn't really Christmas. And if it isn't really Christmas, it doesn't matter. Get over it. True Christmas joy, the joy of Christ's coming, the joy of redemption, the joy that he loves us and values us so much, the joy of forgiveness, The joy of salvation by grace alone. We don't have to earn it. It's already ours. The joy of a clean conscience. The joy of a knowledge that these present sufferings, however intense they may be, are just that, present. They will pass. And what remains is Jesus and all that he gives. This true Christmas joy cannot be taken away from us. Jesus divides us away from sin, death, and the devil, and his redemption goes deeper than all of our sorrows. Ultimately, his redemption means the healing of our bodies, our minds, and our souls. It also means the healing of those around us in their bodies, minds, and souls, and the healing of those who have departed to be with Jesus as they rise and are made new, in their bodies, minds, and souls. Again, all of this that we are enduring, whatever specifics that looks like for you, it is all temporary. The joys that are now ours in Christ are permanent and eternal. What we endure, we endure only for a time. But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, redemption, forgiveness, new life, healing, and resurrection... And of course, most of all, joy. These things are eternal. We see this in Anna, who the text says is old. I mean, excuse me, advanced in years. The older I get, the more sensitive I get to how one phrases that. She's likely in pain. She's widowed. Where are her children? Whether she's barren or whether they don't have anything to do with her, we don't know. Is she lonely? Is she wondering what her purpose is? She does precisely the right thing. She dedicates her life to praying and fasting, and would that more widows would do that today. So to summarize, she's old, widowed, and alone, and yet filled with joy. This deeper joy in Christ that the sorrows of this world simply cannot take away. So now you can guess the full title of my homily, Division, Redemption, and Joy. And my final thought for you is this. This very day, we get to experience what Simeon and Anna experienced. We, too, encounter the Christ child here in Holy Communion. We, too, encounter redemption, the forgiveness of all our sins, And so we too will sing in the liturgy that very same song that Simeon sang. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. A most blessed communion to you this day, and a most joyful and blessed Christmas season. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.